the fire. We always hear a lot of people on the far left say, oh, we need to dig into the root cause. I'm sorry, the root causes of most of the problems that we're facing is jealousy, envy, greed, and hate. So having these kinds of emotions in our human nature is not illegal. But when those emotions bubble up and go beyond the feeling and result in acts that harm individuals or communities, that's what laws are for. Laws are not designed to take away your freedom. They're designed to enhance them if we all abide by them. Welcome to Through the Fire, cutting through the passions, clearing the smoke of the cultural confusions of the world today. Talking God's love and God's solutions from a biblical Christian worldview. And now, here's your host, Marie and Gregory Seltz. The doctors are in. Hello, hello, everybody. I'm Marie, and welcome to Through the Fire, where we are on the case, talking about the tough issues in the culture today with a theological explanation and psychological explanation application that we hope will bless you. And today we're talking about another important topic that is in the news, and that is law enforcement in major cities and how it's affecting police and the law and the citizens. And I am beyond excited. I feel very grateful to have with me today a TEDx speaker, an author, a law enforcement consultant and trainer on homelessness and community policing, a public speaker with appearances on Fox News, the 700 Club, and he's a 27-year law enforcement officer. And 22 of those years have been serving Skid Row. His name is Dion Joseph. Welcome to our program. How are you today? I'm fantastic. Thank you so much for having me. How are you? I am doing very, very well. And I cannot tell you how very excited I've been looking forward to this for weeks and weeks. You're a very busy man. And I yes. mean, just <laughs> very, I mean, I literally wonder how you fit everything in. You are a father, you are a husband, you're growing sons. I mean, your poor wife, the, the testosterone in your household. <laughs> a lot of plates spinning, but I couldn't do it without my beautiful wife. But I could not do anything without her. And I'm learning even more and more how incredible she really, really is. She's an incredible yes. woman. You, you all chose each other well. God, I, I know for a fact that God sent her to my life. There's no one can even, even question me on that. <laughs> I, I, and I don't. And I tell you what, I mean, the the work that you do, uh, it's so giving and and it's such a tough and challenging. And I, I and I believe and I'm, I mean, my sister's a police officer, but she does not serve in a situation that you are in. And hers is very challenging. But yours serving on Skid Row. Why Skid Row? Well, the, you know, sometimes there's uh, times when God orders your steps, even when you don't want to go. And uh, I first came to my department, uh, I was on probation. I worked in a beautiful place called Venice Beach, palm trees, beautiful ladies on Sunday afternoon. If you're into that sort of thing, you know, uh, a very mixed uh, uh, crowd of people. Uh, and uh, it was time for me to go. After one year, you get sent to another division. So I selected three choices, my wish list. And then one of my training officers, when he found that I chose uh, downtown, he's like, what the heck did you do? And I was like, yeah, downtown, you know, you know, yeah, it's, you know Skid Row. He goes, do you know what that place is? And this is his exact words to the team. My God, you have to wear a body count to work there. Uh, there's people smoking drugs in the middle of the sidewalk, having sex in the street, trash mm -hmm. piled everywhere, and there's no place to eat. So being a man of faith, I said, I went home and I prayed to God. I said, God, you've always answered my prayers. You've never failed to answer a prayer. <laughs> I'm a germaphobe. I like to eat, God. 
please don't send me to this place called Skid Row. <laughs> and of course, uh, he had other plans. And like a good soldier, I went and it was heartbreaking. Uh, mm-hmm. And the day one, this is what I saw. I'm in the heart of the symbol, the West Coast symbol of America's economic uh, might and power. And in one street, you know, sometimes when you go to bad places, there's like a mile and a half stretch of territory that warned you first. You're about to enter into Hoodville. You mm-hmm. know, there was absolutely no warning. When I crossed mm-hmm. from the towers, one street over, it was horrific what I saw. Mentally ill people and family down the streets and hospital gowns not knowing where they were. People setting tents on fire. Yes, people having relations on the sidewalk, smoking mm-hmm. crack, some on the steps of the police station. And I'll never forget the smell. And I just wanted to get out of there. Mm-hmm. And what happened was there was a couple of tragedies uh, that occurred uh, while I was at the station uh, working there. I actually got a science skid row. Uh, in my third month, there were some tragedies that occurred that inspired me to want to make a difference. I wanted to create an environment conducive to change so that the influence of the service providers and drug programs and shelters uh, could be stronger than that of the criminal element. And that's where God knew where to send me because of my personal background. And I'll make this real quick. I have got two wonderful parents who were engaged in outreach in their entire 47-year marriage. They raised mm. 41 foster children on top of their uh, four children and three grandchildren. And I was around for 17 of those kids. And I watched how they loved these children back to health, whether they were with us two weeks or two years in a non-patronizing way. You know, they lo- gave the same love to me as they gave to them. And a lot of these kids went home kicking and screaming. And these kids were homeless. They were sexually mm-hmm. abused. They were physically abused, mentally homeless. New name it. They went through it. But my parents lovingly healed them. And then my mother and father uh, held the homeless every Saturday for 10 years until their passing. And then my dad, who came up very hard, he came up in the very racist Jim Crow South and his, where his grandfather was murdered. And uh, he ended up reaching back and hiring men who needed a second chance like he did when he became successful and he never called his employees his uh, employees he always called them his friends so that transferred to me after about three months of being a skipper i never called the homeless homeless hobos bums you'll never hear me use those derogatory terms i will always call them my friends yes i I noticed you speak about respect and, and that's very important to you just like what you're saying right now that all goes back to that doesn't it absolutely I didn't realize that that's how you grew up that, about your parents. I, I did wonder about that. Like, how were these foundations that you hold so important and dear to you, how were they formed? Because when I was looking at your website, DionJoseph.org, DionJoseph, D-E-O-N, Joseph, J-O-S-E-P-H.org, you have a crest on there. Yes. And the crest has a, a lion with a crown. Right. And then there's the shield. Right. And on the shield, there's... Tell the people what are what's on the shield because it, I think it's very representative of you and your life and what you hold dear. On the shield is faith, family, and service. Uh, faith. My family has been loving Jesus, and Jesus has been loving us for over fifty years. Uh, when my parents decided to change their life, they gave that to me, that wonderful gift to me. So we are strong supporters and defenders of our faith. We love everybody, but we don't sacrifice our values for anybody. But we love people with the love of Christ, no matter who you are. And then uh, you have family. Family is so important. Being there for your uh, children, being an honorable, faithful husband, being a dedicated father, being there, not checking out, loving your wife, loving your children. That's so important in the Joseph household. And that's any Joseph family you go to in my family. And then the lastly, service. All Mm -hmm. Josephs tend to end up in service, whether it's police work, probation, military, 
uh, or whether it's just handiwork, whether we always provide service, but we do it in a way that's outside of the box. We get into the trenches somewhere and we see an issue and we can't let it slide. We use that platform to try to change lives. So faith, family, and service, that's my motto, and uh, I'll stick by that. That's right. And the symbols you have are a cross, a heart, and hands. And then you have these wings that surround the entire thing. Yes. And I write a blog and I've written about the symbolism of wings and what all that can represent. And that, I just think that's a beautiful crest that you have. And it's very symbolic and of your life. And even if a person can't read, they can see what you stand for. Exactly. And, you know, the power, you started all off with the king, right? Yes. And because uh, that's, that's everything. If you don't have that, you don't have anything. Exactly. The Lion of Judah and the wings represent the angel. That's my nickname. They used to call, they call me on the street still. The Angel of Skimdale. Okay, and that's where I was going to go with that, because that's how I first learned of you. I used to live in L.A., and I heard about the Angel, you know, of Skid Row, and I, you know, so I was wondering, why do they call you that? And as I started learning more about you and the work that you do and the way you mm -hmm. treat people, it's just very honorable. And so if you don't mind, I wanted to read a piece of the blog because you are an author and you've written two books. One of them is called The Diary of a Skid Row Cop. Mm -hmm. And the other one is Stepping Across the Line. And people can purchase that on your website at dionjoseph.org. Yes. Again, it's Diary of a Skid Row Cop and Stepping Across the Line. So about uh, two years ago this month, you wrote a piece that you titled, Your Good Works Are Not In Vain and You May Never Even Know It. This is a snippet of your life. You said, two weeks in from my vacation and my work was definitely cut out for me. I came back with a lot of energy, but it took only two weeks for it to weigh in on me a bit. Today was my day off. I had to drop my boo off at work because our car is down. I realized I left an important document I needed to study at work, so I drove a few short blocks to the station. I took in the sight of all the blight being allowed just east of the bustling towers. I saw a gang member I kicked out of the area slanging cocaine behind a drug program because per a very uninformed judge, banning drug dealers away from drug programs is not constitutional. I watched him go from tent to tent, making dealings and laughing. I shook my head and drove off. I hit 54th Street and see more of his associates loitering in the area. Further east, I could see even more tents than when I left for vacation. In my head, I was ready for another vacation. I parked in front of the station and exited my car. A skid row bud of mine sees me in the lobby and stops to hug me. She wanted to talk to me, but I needed to rush. I got my document and then walked back into the lobby en route to my car. But my friend was still in the lobby waiting for me. She hugs me again and says, I turned 40 today. I hugged her again and told her, happy birthday. She then said, I have some good news. I'm finally getting off the streets. I live in a friend in her apartment until I can get clean and go back home to my parents. I congratulated her and pressed onto my car, but she followed me. And I started down the steps. She yells at me, Uncle Joseph. There is something I want to tell you. I was dreading what she was going to say. Most of the time, she ends up telling me of being sexually violated or physically abused or that she suffered yet another miscarriage from being kicked in the stomach. As down as I was, my heart just couldn't take it at the moment because I knew I would want to suit up and try to fix it. And she says to me, Uncle, you have known me since I was 19. You have been the only good I have known all these years. I just remember that I never took the time to thank you for keeping me safe and looking out for me. I know I'm a trip. I know you want me to get off my stuff altogether, 
but we feel safe when you are around. We all can't say it out loud. You know why, but you are my family, uncle. If my parents never take me back, I know I still have you. I gave her another hug and drove home fighting back tears. I won, again. I hate crying. I feel weird afterwards. The fruits of my labor may not be impressive to some, but it is important to those that matter. My work is nowhere near done and may never be done, but it is never in vain. Thank you, Jesus, for my job. Yes. Yes. I tell you, the first time I read that, I could not get through it because, you know, you think about, you have to see that every day. And like you were talking the first time you were there, you smell it, you see it, your senses are overwhelmed. Completely. Yes. <laughs> you're fighting against all your natural inclinations to draw back, but yet you're going right. towards it. You are going towards them. You are embracing them. You are supporting them. You're giving them hope. You're showing them strength. Yes. It's the opposite yes. of what they experience. Yes. I wanted to show them love from a place that they've been indoctrinated not to expect it. And of course, that was from police officers, as they're told by the media, as they're told, you know, by the negative exception of law enforcement who may have mistreated them. And I stress the negative exception because the honorable rule is it by the hundreds That's of right. thousands, uh, as well as activists who uh, brainwash them and gang members who have a figurative and literal gun to their head. They're told that cops don't care about you. But I, I, my goal was to go in there and completely break that stigma and show them who I was, not just what I did. And when they saw who I was, there was this graduation of names that I was called over the years. When I was a young copper, of course, being black, I was hated by the community because I, I was like considered a traitor. So I was called a Sambo, a house Negro, a white man, bootlicking lapdog, all these horrible, horrible names. But I didn't care because like Jesus, Jesus took abuse, but he kept on loving. So I just That's kept right. on loving through the years. And then the names changed when they saw that the aggressive but professional police work I was doing and going after the gang members, it wasn't being done to them, it was being done for them. And they started to realize that but if something happens to the homeless, Deion Joseph is coming. So I started getting these fun names like uh, Officer Tight Shirt, Officer Bobblehead, and then, <laughs> and then Robocop. Robocop was uh, my favorite at the time. But now what I love is for the past 17 years, the way I've been able to love on the homeless, the names have now evolved into Officer God Daddy, Uncle, uh, Angel. Uh, my favorite is Dion, but my new one that they're telling me about that I just found out about a few weeks ago was Ram Bro. <laughs> there was a homeless lady. <laughs> <laughs> homeless lady who flags me down and says, Joseph, guess what your name is? I was like, well, what's my name now? She says, it's Rambo. I said, why, you me, why do you call me Rambo? She said, because if something happens to one of us, you're like a one-man army. And when she said that, it almost made me cry. And it's true. I, I care about them so much. Like, I just feel in my spirit that Jesus says, you have to care for these people. And it's hard. Every time I try to leave, I end up getting sucked back. I had a couple of Jonah in a whale moments that sucked me right back, you know. So right. uh, I, I'm supposed to be there for the people. They're like my family. Too. You know, and I was thinking about this as I was reading about your, uh, in your on your writings. I was reading some of them. And, and you make some uh, uh, interesting points that I really honestly had not thought about. But, you know, you're not only fighting for these people, right, and trying to not only show them hope, but lift them up and get them to, to a point where they can thrive and not just survive, but you just surviving would be great, right? But you want them to do better than that. Right, right. But you're also speaking up against these activists, these, I want to say, very poor politicians or very leftist politicians that are making decisions that yeah. are really impacting your work. And then you have the do-gooders, the ones that really do want to do good, but they are also creating even more work for you all because they go in and they think they're doing good by maybe dropping things right. off. Absolutely. That's one of the worst things you can do. 
in places like Skid Row. If it's away from Skid Row and, and someone doesn't have access to services, of course, I would never tell you not to provide food or clothing. But in a place where you have five shelters and they serve over 11,000 meals a day and the average person can eat up to four or five times a day, uh, there are, are unfortunately obese people in Skid Row who don't need, who can stand to miss a meal or two. And also they, the missions provide clothing for them. And this is all designed to guide the people to the services they need to get off the street. So we have individuals with a stereotypical view of what homelessness is and their hearts are in the right place. They're good people. Yeah. I'm not demonizing them, but they come down here with their cameras, showing themselves, giving food, blankets, and clothing. And what they don't know is when they drive off, the halos come off and the clothes that you sold them, they're going to line up on the sidewalk and unfortunately sell for money to buy heroin, crack, methamphetamines, and fentanyl, things that are going to destroy them. Mm -hmm. Okay, the food, they're gonna take two bites of it and throw it in the street because nine times out of 10, they've already eaten at a mission three or four times before you got there. So what you're creating is A, a poor quality of life where you have rats and roaches and the city has to come through and clean it constantly or there's gonna be like a darn bubonic plague if it doesn't get maintained. And then on the other end, you're unintentionally keeping somebody from the help that they need with the best of intentions. So what I tell people is, if you're gonna volunteer help, a volunteer at the shelter and understand the programs they create so that when you go out and reach out to these people, you can say, hey, this is here. Don't bring food, bring hygiene kits. Whenever you bring hygiene kits or whatever you engage in, engage in things that de-incentivize the streets, that guide people to take a shower, to have that sobering moment to say, you know what, maybe I need to check into this program. Because some people, when they're engaged in violence out there in Skid Row, they're doing it because they're not wearing their clothes. Their clothes are wearing them. They're irritated. So give them a chance to go and freshen up and improve their confidence and confidence and maybe check into a program. So every outreach effort you do, uh, whether it's jobs, come down here with things that can lift people, not anchor people to the streets. And that's what I try to say. I never told one, uh, not one point have I ever told anybody not to help. We just have to help. Anyway, look, there's faith. We all believe in faith. And faith is one of the core aspects of what we believe. But God also gives us wisdom and discernment with how yeah. we go about distributing uh, our, our acts of love. So I'm just asking people to think a little bit. Yeah. And I think that you make great points because there are people of faith that think that they're doing just such wonderful things. Their intentions are good, but they're creating harm because they don't know what they don't know. You're right. And God doesn't fall as far if we don't know. Mm -hmm. But when you know, because now I've just informed you, now you have to act accordingly. Right. Because now if you know you're causing harm, if you don't adjust, now you're a part of the problem. Exactly. Now, you wrote another piece. Uh, this was also about two years ago. It's called A Walk Through Tragedy to a Connection with God. This one's a bit longer, but I want people to hear about this because you talk about the mental health issues that are on Skid Row, the poverty, the addiction. Some people have all three. Yes. And, and the populations that tend to go and receive help and the ones that don't. Right. And you know these people and they know you. Yes. So you in this one piece here, you're talking about some meetings and some other things. And that you said, I was finally able to break away from it all and walk a footbeat in the heart of Skid Row. It was the worst I had seen in years. I was completely disheartened by it all. I only walked a block from the station when I was met by the living, breathing embodiment of failure. Along with people with handicaps, the elderly and others, I had to walk in the street due to tents blocking the sidewalks. Every other person I saw had a black eye. As usual, when I asked what happened to them, they timidly put their head down and mumbled, I fell. As a group of watchful, able-bodied, intimidating individuals stared them down to ensure that was the answer. I was surprised by the number of women I was now seeing who were bruised up, 
but perked up upon seeing me stride down the street. So when they saw you, they felt good to have you there. They felt protected. Yes. You know, and then you go on to say, as if for a moment of brevity, they were safe. I came upon a pile of trash, one of many that nearly came up to my knees. A homeless man said to me as I stared at it, I'm getting it, officer, as he swept mounds of trash left over from good intentions from the gutter. I thanked him and moved on. This is what you were talking about, the good intentions, right? Yes, yes. I arrived at one of the missions and saw a commotion in the street. I approached to de-escalate it, and as I got closer, I observed multiple homeless people jostling for clothes that had just been dropped off, literally in the street, as cars swerved around to avoid striking them, as bouts of tug-of-war broke out over jeans, blankets, and other items they did not even need. No matter how many times I'd seen it, I still cannot get over the inhumanity of homelessness donors dumping clothes in the street for the homeless to fight over like animals in the name of helping them. If they would have just stuck around for a moment, they would have noticed that not one of them were without clothes or a jacket. I knew where those good intentions were going to go as soon as I left. It would be bartered into a meth pipe. These are things that people don't realize. Right. Absolutely. So people that work like in New York City, in L.A., in, in most recent well, Miami, in Chicago, uh, now Austin, Texas is going the same way. And again, it's politics. It's the people that the DAs and right that it's it's. Right. OK, let me go on here. Uh, and then you said, as I helped push the clothes and the people back onto the sidewalk to keep them from hitting, getting hit by the car, one lady just sat on the street. After a few minutes of coaxing, she got up and ambled away, mumbling to herself. As I watch her leave, I hear a scream. An inebriated, mentally ill woman was sitting on the sidewalk, challenging anyone with the balls to do so to catch her hands as she sipped on a Colt 45. I walked up to her and tapped her on the shoulder. She turns uh, with her dukes up and cane in her hand. All of this while many homeless people greeted me and hugged me. When she realizes it was me, she gathered herself and tears began to well up in her eyes. Where you been, Joseph? They won't leave me alone. I calmed her down and relieved her of her liquid courage. I did not want her to drink anymore to end up a victim or a suspect. Her love for me mm -hmm. turned to anger. As she balled up her fist, a familiar face decided to come to my rescue. And this is what I love. Okay, I love this piece. My 70-year-old fiancé, this older woman, you call her your fiancé. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I love this. My 70-year-old fiancé attaches herself to me. She was in full mama bear mode to protect her giant chocolate lab cub. I restrained her and told her in broken Spanish, because she's Hispanic, just like I am. Yes. She said that I was fine and could handle it. She stood down, but had her own cane at the ready should I need backup. The angry woman I was dealing with calmed down again and apologized to me, but continued to curse at everyone around her. As I walked away, she yells, I'm going to get another beer, Joseph. I walked away, shaking my head, but I wasn't alone. My fiance put her arm in my arm and made me walk with her. I obliged her because I did not want her returning to the other woman to defend my honor. So you protected her and gave her your time. Absolutely. And then you all continue to walk and she's talking to you in Spanish the whole time and you don't understand her, but you're saying see, see to her yes. just so she yes. feels like she's being listened to. <laughs> yes. It's so precious. And then you all, she wants to go to the mission. Uh, what is it called? The union rescue mission. And you take yes. her there. And the Union Rescue Mission is one of these places that you were just talking about that people can, that's already organized. And it, and by the way, this mission has existed since the 1800s. It was uh, yep. formed in 1891. 
So it yes. has been around serving the community for over a hundred years. Great organization. Yes, and you've been very involved with different programs there. But you yes. took this this woman, your fiance, to the to this the mission, and you your heart is very heavy, and you go in there, and the people that serve there are praying, and you go into the chapel with your fiance, and you start praying with the people, and your heart gets lifted because you were very yes. heavy. And your heart gets yes. lifted. So this fiance of yours that you're giving dignity to and respect to that comes to your protection in her little feeble way takes mm -hmm. you to this mission where you receive prayer and be yes. and you're lifted up and 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 re-energized. Yes. Yes. And it's it's amazing how <laughs> it's all working together. They're blessing you as you're blessing them and they're blessing you. It's a, it's a circle, right? And that's why it's so hard to leave. I feel like God always sends little reminders all over the place with that when I'm walking through hell, just take a minute to step into heaven for a second and talk to me. And uh, and the skid row provides that, you know, to me. And that, that day, I'll never forget it. I, I, I think I was at one of my lowest points. And, uh, you know, and I'm just walking into the chapel and the staff workers, the wonderful staff workers at the Union Rescue Mission are praising and and I'm not a praise and worship guy. I'm a, like a guy who likes to go into church, listen to the word and get out, right? <laughs> but for the first time in my life, in my 49 years, uh, the, the songs they were singing really lifted my spirits and it just gave me the energy to keep going, to keep fighting. So God always ends up meeting me at my lowest point in Skid Row. And it's just a wonderful experience. And my 70-year-old fiance is a funny story behind that. <laughs> for a long time, I just, like you said, I was a CCC, whatever she said. <laughs> and I thought she was just being like a mom to me, right? She'd always give me a Mountain Dew. And I'll never forget one time I discovered the Google Translator, right? So I kind of like let it run and let her talk a little bit. <laughs> and I realized that uh, this woman's pitching, woo, she's she's telling me she's going to drink me like a soda and I'm going to admit her. And, Aww. <laughs> so then I'm getting, I, I go to the station and I keep getting reports that from the service provider says, you better talk to your girl, fiance, Veronica, because every time you hug another lady, she tries to attack her with jealous. a cane. So I have to. <laughs> so, <laughs> she claimed you. Blessing. She claimed me. She claimed me. It's just such a blessing. It really is. Oh, it's charming. It's just so charming. It really is. But it's just your story is very unique. I'm glad that you're also writing it down so that people like me can benefit and we can continue to push it forward and show people that, you know, sometimes we can find our purpose, our meaning in very unconventional ways and places we didn't even choose. Like you said, God chose it. He, he led you. Absolutely. And you answered his call. You know, it, it's beautiful. As um, I want you to talk a little bit about uh, the unique um, position you're in right now with uh, the law enforcement and the changes that you're seeing. I've, I heard a disturbing um, thing recently that they are considering bringing on illegal immigrants to serve on the police forces. Have you heard about that? I've heard, I've caught wind of that. Here's my thoughts on that. Uh, if it's somebody who is respecting our process, somebody who is going through the legal process to become an American citizen, and they're proving that they want to be a part of this country in the right way. They've done all the work. I personally wouldn't mind that. If it's somebody who's skating our system, avoiding our system, uh, that would be problematic. And that's just from a common sense standpoint, we don't know much about you. But for people who are going through the process and showing that I really want to be a part of this country, this is who I am. You can check my background in my other country. You know who I am and you know what I'm bringing to this. For those individuals, I wouldn't mind that at all. I think that would be great. And I also hope that it would speed up their ability to become American citizens. But as long as you're going about it the right way. But if you're talking about just pulling somebody who just, you know, 
you know, might have crossed over to our, our country. I don't care where it's from, north, south, east, or west, with fentanyl on their back, and then you want to give them a job as a police officer, you're or, or any job a position of importance like that. You are asking for a lot of trouble. Uh, so that's my position on it. If they're if they're trying to be a part of this country in the right way, I welcome. I would love okay, to. properly vetted. Yes. And, they, yes, and their background is checked and they're going about it the right way. I, I agree with you 100% because right now I, I we do see what's happening with they're considering lifting Title 42. But if they lift that, mm-hmm. we're expecting to see 17,000 per day illegal immigrants coming across the border. 17,000 mm-hmm. a day. It's tragic. It's tragic what's happening. And, you know, I, I believe in the law. I believe in the law. I understand why many people come here, no matter where they come from. Of course. Uh, you know, a lot of people live in poverty and, you know, but, you know, when you don't do things by the law, uh, you're only asking for chaos. And that's kind of what we're inviting. Uh, I mean, this is not the first time we've seen this. I mean, people want to politicize it and make it about left and right, but both have been guilty at certain uh, times in history, in the, in the 80s and late 70s, yeah. it was the right side right. who was like, we just want cheap labor, so we're going to look the other way. And what was the result of that? That was, uh, you know, people bringing in uh, narcotics to troubled areas in the United States of America. And unfortunately, as a result of that, we had the crack epidemic and all these things flooding communities in because they looked the other way. And now what we're seeing now for our, on the other end of the spectrum is the same thing. So and it's not one country over the other that we're seeing people come from all over, you know, uh, but you have to respect your laws. Laws are made for mm-hmm. a reason. And that's, that's right. uh, uh, prevent chaos. And I pray for people who are struggling all over the world, you know, but uh, but you yes. got to do it the right way. Exactly. Or our country won't be one that people want to come to anymore because it won't look the same. You know, right now, I, I've heard you say, because, uh, you know, whenever you're doing the work, back to your work specifically, whenever you're doing the work, you're making the arrest and the people are being found guilty and then they're being released right back in. Mm-hmm. That's that's heartbreaking. <sighs> it is, isn't it? It's complete lawlessness. It's a, There's a movement, an undercurrent movement that's been existing for the past 25, 20 years, maybe longer than that. And their ultimate goal was to basically, you know, uh, shut down jails, prisons and everything and completely tie the law to uh, the hands of law enforcement. It's kind mm-hmm. of a humanistic mindset. If a human being wants to do it, they shouldn't be penalized for it, even if it's murder, even if it's, you know, drugs. Uh, mm-hmm. But once again, that goes to uh, laws. <laughs> you know, this is why yeah. we need laws. Look, the root causes of all the issues we're facing, you know, we always hear a lot of people on the far left say, oh, we need to dig into the root cause. I'm sorry, the right. root causes of most of the problems that we're facing is jealousy, envy, yes. greed, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and hate. So yes. having these these kinds of emotions in our human nature is it, not illegal, you know, but when those emotions bubble up and go beyond the feeling and result in acts that harm individuals or communities, that's what laws are for. Laws are not designed to take away your freedom. They're designed to enhance them. You know, yes, we all exactly. about them. They're designed to, and, and that's what I try to tell people because Skid Row is a prime example of that where now yes. it's completely lawless. And we can't stop people from dying on the street from fentanyl. We can't stop people from getting abused on the street because of this mindset that we need to take a hands-off approach to these very important problems. But I always say this, and I, I, I'll leave it at this. Uh, there's no such thing as crime stop. For anybody out there listening right now who uh saying the police can't stop this, police can't stop that. There's no such thing. We've never said that, but there is such thing as crime control. Okay, as long as you have 330 million people in the uh, in the greatest country in the world, not perfect, but the greatest, uh, there's going to be a negative exception. 
uh, in the hundreds of thousands, if not below millions, that 800,000 men and women who put on a uniform every day are going to have to confront to keep the rest of us safe. So you got to allow us to do our jobs and control the crime. If you don't, this country is going to implode from within and we won't recognize it even five years from now if we don't get a hold of it right now. I agree. And I love the way you said it. You just made it so clear. I, I really appreciate that. Any other thoughts that you have before we wind down here? Well, I have a special heart for two groups of people, and I'll make this really quick. The women of Skid Row, and I don't care if they're documented, undocumented, I don't care who you are. Uh, they make up 40% of the Skid Row population, but two-thirds of them have been victims of sexual assault more than twice. That's a travesty. So for all those who say we want to respect the rights of women in Skid Row, don't tell me you respect their rights, but you're okay with an environment that puts them in constant danger. You have to allow law enforcement and others to create the environment where they can have a safe place and others as well. And this third, second group is the mentally ill. Our mental health system has been broken since the 1970s, early 70s. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, our current solution is to sprinkle pills on people in the name of civil liberties and they kick them out in the streets and say, yeah, you're free. But what happens is a lot of these individuals who are paranoid, schizophrenic, bipolar, uh, or you name it, they start to throw away their prescribed medication and they start self-medicating on the heart stop. And that's when they become a police problem. So now they're dual diagnosis. So we have to change yes. the system from 72 yes. hours to six weeks to match the time that they get to benefit from the therapeutic attributes of their medication. These are things that we need to think about uh, if we really want to change this. We can't throw money at a problem and solve it. We, it ha- it's not money, it's method. That's right. And you know, if, if anybody wants to hear more about your thoughts on that, you did a TED Talk on that. And I think that they should Google you and listen to that. I think it, you did a really great job. Um, and I thank you so much. But there's so many more things. And I hope maybe you might consider coming back again in between your other interviews and the other work that you do. Um, it has been a complete joy um, reading and getting to know you. And again, if anyone would like to keep up with what's going on with Officer Dion, you can look for him at Officer Dion on Facebook or Officer Dion Joseph on Twitter. That's O-F-C-R, Dion Joseph on Twitter. And again, his website is dionjoseph.org. So thank you so much for being with us today. Um, God continue to bless you and your work, guide you and protect you and your family and give you uh, sustenance and uh, resilience and the continued joy and wisdom that you are showing every single day. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you. And to our listeners, um, just please continue to listen to our program and to pray for our guest. And as always, remember, there are two kinds of fire in the world the one that burns and consumes, and the one that burns and empowers. Till next time, Little Embers, I'm Marie. See you soon. Through the Fire is a production of Family Vision Media, familyvisionmedia.org.